Mark has already talked to the kids this morning, but uh, I guess I want to talk to all of us because when gathered around the tree on Christmas morning, I trust that you all take time to read the Christmas story before you open your presents. And uh, when you do so, what gospel do you read it from? We've got four accounts. We've got four gospels. Well, obviously, you don't read it from Mark's gospel because the nativity story is not there. You know, Mark begins with a prophecy concerning the coming of a messenger to prepare the way for the Lord and introduces us to Jesus when he comes from Nazareth to be baptized by John. Now, you might read it from Matthew's account because it's the shortest and you've got presents waiting. But uh, if you read long enough and go on into the second chapter, there you'll find the visit of the Magi and the star that led them to Bethlehem. Most likely, you'll turn to Luke's gospel because it's the most detailed account of Jesus' birth. It includes Gabriel's visit to Mary, the journey to Bethlehem, the babe in a manger, the angelic choir, and the shepherds. Chances are you won't read it from John's gospel. For as we discovered last week, John presents Jesus as the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that was a meaningful way to introduce the Son of God to both a Greek and Jewish audience, but it's very hard to picture that on a Christmas card. No, John doesn't give us a picture of the baby Jesus, but he does make it clear that when the Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. John opened his gospel with an intriguing prologue that introduces us to the word and to the one who bore witness to the word. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. As we continue in the first chapter, we find that witness crying in the wilderness, baptizing in water, and beholding the Spirit. We continue in our new study of John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 19 through 24. And this is the witness of John, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They said then to him, Who are you? that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah 
the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. We've already discovered that John doesn't follow the narrative line of the other gospel writers. There's no mention of the birth of Jesus or the birth of John. He doesn't even mention the baptism of Jesus or the temptations or the 40 days in the wilderness. His account opens with a delegation of priests and Levites sent by the Pharisees to question John the Baptist, to check out this renegade priest. And John was a priest, born into the priesthood because his father, Zacharias, was a priest. But he didn't dress or act like a priest. He dressed like a prophet of old in camel's hair and leather. And he lived in the wilderness on a diet of locusts and wild honey. And the establishment would have probably just ignored him, but people were flocking to him. So the authorities came and asked, who are you? Now, he understood the implications of the question. They were asking if he was the Messiah, the deliverer they were waiting for. Was he gathering a band of rebels in the wilderness to lead an insurrection against Rome? John answered very clearly, I am not the Christ. Christ is from the Greek and Messiah from Hebrew. They both mean the anointed one. No, he said, I am not the Christ. What then? Are you Elijah? You know, the last words in the Old Testament are Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. The Jews expected Elijah to come back in his fiery chariot and set things in order before the coming of the Messiah. If he wasn't the Messiah, was he Elijah? Had they just missed his spectacular arrival? John said, I am not. I am not. Now, his answer confuses us just a bit. When the angel appeared to Zacharias, he said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. He will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Jesus himself said of John, if you can accept it, he himself is Elijah, who was to come. But yet, John wasn't actually Elijah come back to earth. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he wasn't actually Elijah, so he answered, 
I am not. Well then, are you the prophet? Which prophet? Probably the one Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. There were lots of ideas and expectations concerning the role of this prophet, and most were tied to the Messianic reign. Some even believed this to be a prophetic reference to the Messiah himself, which is most likely the case. So to their inquiry, are you the prophet? And John said, no. Well, then who are you? They had to give an answer to those who had sent them. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah, the prophet said. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, the voice prophesied in Isaiah 40. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Like a road crew that preceded a king, John was preparing the way for his coming. John came to remove that which was crooked in the conduct of the Jews and what was narrow in their outlook. He came to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. That preparation involved his preaching. But not only his preaching, also baptizing. That became the focus of their next round of questions. Let's read on. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. We call him John the Baptist because he came baptizing. And to distinguish him from the Apostle John, He was immersing, dunking people underwater in the Jordan River. The Jews asked him, why? Why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? We too want to know why. Why was John baptizing? 
You know, there's no biblical record of anyone baptizing before John. There are purification rites involving water in the Old Testament, but nothing that can be called baptism. And there are no prophecies to suggest the Christ or Elijah or the prophet would baptize. Still, the Jews of Jesus' day were obviously familiar with baptism and even thought the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet might do it. But we really don't know where it came from. Now, thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know the Qumran community of ascetic Jews practiced a form of ceremonial cleansing, a form of baptism to initiate men into their community. And there is a lot of evidence to indicate that the Jews of this period immersed Gentiles following their circumcision as a cleansing rite to enable them to become proselytes into Judaism. But we don't know the full significance or the origin of these early forms of baptism. All we know for sure is that John's baptism was apparently some type of Jewish purification rite, and that he used it as a call to repentance. You get a very clear picture of that in Luke chapter 3. And he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, let every ravine be filled up and every mountain and hill brought low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough roads, rough roads smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He therefore began saying to the multitudes who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And also the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes were questioning him, saying, What then shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none, and let him who has food do likewise. And some tax gatherers also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, collect no more than what you've been ordered to. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. And while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other ex exhortations, he preached the gospel 
the people. John was calling the Jewish nation to repentance. He ignored the questions that challenged his authority to do so and simply made it clear that he was baptizing them to get them ready for the coming of someone far greater than himself. One who was among them already, but one whom they hadn't recognized. One who was so great, in fact, that John didn't deem himself worthy to untie his sandals. That's the one John was preparing the Jews to meet. The next day, he introduced them to Jesus. Apparently, Jesus was returning from his 40 days in the wilderness. And when John saw him, he exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb prophesied by Isaiah that would be led to slaughter. He was the fulfillment of all that was symbolized by the Passover lamb. He would be the sacrificial lamb provided in substitution for the lives of those guilty of sin. He was the means through whom forgiveness would come. He was the one John had told them about, the one so much greater than himself, the one who actually existed before John, even though John was born six months before Jesus. He was the one John came to make known to Israel. He was the reason John had come baptizing in water. John was preparing them to meet the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the one who would baptize not only in water, but in the Holy Spirit. And John knew that to be true because he had seen the Spirit Descend on Jesus. Verses 32 through 34. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John, no doubt, knew Jesus. They were cousins. But he did not know Jesus was the Son of God until he witnessed the sign that proved he was. John had been told that the one upon whom the Spirit would descend and remain would be the one he had been sent to prepare the way for, the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit had descended upon Jesus as a dove out of heaven at his baptism. We read of that in Mark chapter 1. And it came about in these days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately... Coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. John's baptism gave the Jews a way to publicly renounce sin, 
and commit themselves to a life of trying harder to obey the law. Jesus, John was told, would baptize people in the Holy Spirit. That Jesus did and does. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to baptize the apostles, to overwhelm them, to immerse them with his presence and power. Before he had ascended into heaven, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit's baptism. We read of it in Acts chapter 1. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, You should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. This happened on the day of Pentecost. And after it happened, Peter told the Jews that they had both seen and heard the Spirit being poured out upon the apostles. They, in turn, instituted a baptism that offers much more than John could offer. The apostles instituted a baptism that offers the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. For as Peter told them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is what we offer today. A baptism that provides not only forgiveness, but also the power to live above sin. A baptism that brings into our life the very Spirit of God. The baptism we offer is not the same as John's baptism. It's the baptism authorized by Jesus, done in his name. It's Christian baptism, immersion into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a baptism that not only offers forgiveness of sin, but the Holy Spirit as a gift to indwell us and to empower us. Jesus is able to offer us the Holy Spirit in baptism because, as John bore witness, he is the Son of God. The Son of God. The Word of God who came to earth and died to be able to offer us the forgiveness of sins. Who then arose and ascended into heaven to be able to send his Holy Spirit to indwell us. We thank God for sending John to be the witness to Christ. But we thank him even more for sending the Spirit. For it's the Spirit we receive in Christian baptism that enables us to live for Jesus. 
If you really want to live for Jesus, we're able to offer to you the opportunity and the power to do so. We offer the opportunity to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you want to live your life in a way that honors the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we invite you to come and make your desire known. And then we will make preparation for you to be immersed into Christ. Your sins will be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit will come to live within you. To empower you. To live a life that honors the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's live that life. Let's commit ourselves to living that life, living a life for Jesus. Let's stand.